What's up, guys? Back for another week of Jack of All Trades here with David. I'm Kalen. Um, going to go over a couple things today. I think last week we touched on Fibonacci lines, a few other things. I can't fully remember. We usually go off on tangents. <laughs> so um, we're going to go through some more like kind of simple support and resistance stuff today. Um, I'm going to run you guys through just the chart that kind of came up this week. Um, small caps are kind of my area of expertise. So I'll just show you roughly how, how you might be able to draw lines in uh, for support and resistance on these kind of things. And it's really the exact same process works on everything from, you know, if you're a Forex trader, crypto, like, you know, big caps, it's, it's all the same kind of stuff. It's all the same kind of pattern. Um, one thing that I learned a long time ago was that the more complicated I made stuff, the worse I traded. So <laughs> David can probably attest to I that. Concur. Yeah, my, my charts, my charts, are a lot more complicated than yours too, and that's me after simplifying it. <laughs> yeah, like I, I had days where like I would have sixteen indicators, and I'd have like all this information. I have balance sheets open, and I'm trying to do like a ten minute trade. Right, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, well, this line contradicts this, and this contradicts that, and but these yeah. three line up, and then I try and, and it just gets so messy. So it's a lot easier yeah. to just cut all that stuff out and keep it simple. Sam, you want to pull up my screen here real quick, and we'll just kind of go through this. So. This stock, uh, BNTC, um, I don't know what the company is, as usual. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm not going to tell you what it is. Um, I'll go to the daily chart here real quick. So, you know, it's a low flow. You can see here, this is the daily chart. So for me, you know, anytime I see something like this where you have all these days, you have these big spikes and big wicks and, you know, it just crashes every day, you know, company's garbage. So that's perfect. Like, that's what I like to see. Um, so when you look at something like this, this is, um, this was just earlier this week, this all kind of happened. So, you know, we had this big, this big day here was kind of the first day of the run, you know, it was over a hundred million volume. Really the only thing that I personally look at, um, I think David, you're probably about the same, maybe a couple other indicators, but really all I look at myself is volume and then just the actual stock pattern itself. Um, I yeah. use I use VWAP as an intraday um, indicator. What do you use? Do you use moving averages or anything? Or? Uh, I'm, I'm off and on with moving averages. I keep, I'll keep the 50 EMA there. Hmm. That's it. Uh, but I rarely look at those. I'm just more RSI and like volume. Those are the more, more important things. Yeah, so you're basically using like one indicator essentially. Yeah, right. one in, yeah, like one indicator and then you have a second one just to kind of confirm or support your first one and that's it. Yeah, so... The reason like VWAP for, for any kind of intraday trader or day trader, it's, it's really all it is, is it's just basically, you know, who's, who's overly in control of the stock. You know, if it's above VWAP and the longs are mostly in control, if it's below the shorts are mostly in control, that's really all you're looking at. So it's, it's a really rough indicator. Like I'm not using it so much as a line to play off of. It just kind of gives me an idea of like, you know, how many people are on what side of the trade. Um, really important though is volume. It's something that's, it, it took me a long time to, remember to keep an eye on that like i'd look at trades all the time and i'd you know i'd see stuff intraday and i'd be like oh yeah that pattern makes sense and then i look at the volume and i'm like oh yeah that's perfect you know that makes sense but if you're playing on like the one minute candles or something like that things are happening so fast that you know sometimes you just stare at the chart you forget to look at the volume and then you might miss a play or you might enter too early um that's all that's all stuff that really just comes with screen time it's 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 easier said than done i guess is the right way to put it um, but anyways, we'll, we'll get into this. So this, this was the, the play here. You know, we, we gapped up the one day, closed at, you know, three, three twenties or whatever, and then shot up to, you know, 10 50 in the, in the day there. So 
it's a pretty good setup. Um, I'll just go back to that start and we'll kind of take a look at what happened here. Yeah, the volume thing is like how I confirm if the price action is like serious or not, right? Sometimes you get a, a giant gap in price or giant movement, but on low volume, I'm like, that's that's fake. Yeah, that's that's something really important to keep in mind is is like David said, if you get like if you get a breakout, you know, on a stock that's that's breaking out to new highs or something like that, just look at the volume. I mean, if if you know, just throwing numbers out there, if the past month or so it's been trading a million shares a day and you know it's it's you know it's at ten dollar mark, say for example, if it breaks out over the ten dollar mark and it's still only a million shares on that day, or maybe it's even less, it's probably gonna be a failed breakout because you can tell that it's broken new highs, so technically it's it should rip up, but there's nobody new looking at the play. Like it's not yeah. attracted any attention, so it's probably gonna fail. Um, yeah. It might not, but odds are it probably will. So that's really important. You know, if it's something like that, you'd want to see like you know 10, 15, 20 million can. Like you want to see a big push on volume over a level. That's that's when you know people are interested, and then you can play off of it. So this was the day here. I don't know why it's not showing up right now. If I pull it up on the five minute candle. All right. I don't know. My chart's having a bit of a stroke here right now. But anyways, so we gapped up the one day and then this is this is kind of pre-market right here. So you can see the time at the bottom um, down here is your volume. I have my volume like really big on the chart because I'd like to, you know, be able to see it really clearly. Um, I use a three minute candles as well, personally, up here. A lot of people like I think it's pretty common to use either one, three or five if you're day trading. Is probably the most common time frames. I know some guys that use all three of them. They kind of use them in, in conjunction with each other. Um, one thing I noticed with the three-minute candles is after playing for the one with the one-minute candles for years and years, there's a lot more fake outs. Like it used to kind of used to kind of fumble me over myself a lot, and I don't like losing on trades because then it kills my confidence. I like to win every time. <laughs> so uh, I'm you know, there with you. Yeah. So that's that's kind of what I noticed is on the one-minute candles, it's it does give you a little bit more information, but it's it can be a lot uh, it can be a lot trickier. Like if I see something on the three minute chart, then odds of it being confirmed are much much higher than if I see it on the one minute chart. So that's I just switched to the three minute chart um, really not that long ago, maybe only like four or five months ago, and uh, you know it was a bit of a learning curve. Like it took me maybe a month or so to kind of really get used to it. I had the one minute and the three minute side by side, and now I only look at this. Um, that's just personal preference. Like I said, some guys trade on the one, some guys trade on the five. It's um, it's up to you. So when it comes to support and resistance, it's it's pretty simple. I mean, all we're looking for is you 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 just want to find a, a clear line where the stock has either resistance, you know, it's it's spiked up into a level and it stopped it and pushed it down, or support. It's you know, it's bounced off a level or it's based on something, and you don't want to try and you know, it shouldn't be hard to find these things. Like when you're looking for support and resistance, you got to think the more people that are seeing the same level as you, the more it's going to make sense, the more it's going to work, the more it's potentially going to hold. So if you're sitting there and you're kind of like, you know, looking at something, you're like, eh, you know, maybe the line's here. I could probably maybe get a line in there. It kind of works. That's probably not a line you want to use because you need, you know, hundreds, thousands of other people to be using the same line as you if it's going to work. So if you can look at a chart and immediately just say, oh yeah, that's clear as day, that's a good line to play off. So that's that's something that I learned. Um, so on this one, for example, here, again, this is pre-market. Um, we have a bit of volume coming in pre-market. It's a gap up. This is a low float stock. So you can use these levels. Pre-market and after hours are definitely in play for the type of stuff that I want to use. Um, 
and again, like everything that we're going to go through here, you can use on the daily chart. Like the, if this was Apple on the daily chart, it's all the exact same stuff. It's just a longer time frame. So what I would do, I don't, I don't play day ones usually for shorting, um, just because I don't, you know, you get these big squeezes and stuff here and there. It just, it just, it's a lot more risky, and I have a lot more success on day two. So what I would do first is basically just work your way from left to right and just start drawing in any lines that you see. So, you know, we just first one I see right here is kind of this, you know, 560s area, 563 maybe. Um, the reason I see that is, you know, 4 a.m. we got the first big push. And then if I zoom in on it here, you know, first big push, and then we pulled back, bounced kind of right off this, this 560 area, shot up again, and then it came right back down, bounced off the 560 area again, and then it kind of, you know, just kind of did its thing after that. So this first big push, you can see the volume here, like the volume here is much higher than it was for the whole rest of this next hour or so. So this is important. If you're seeing a big, a big volume bar into one of these levels, that becomes more viable because you know a lot of people are using that level um and then you know we just kind of work our way through so okay we have our first this would be a support line right because the stock's over top of it um next thing you want to do is kind of look for tops right resistance levels and you guys can draw these in wherever you want um you know you can play them however you want the biggest thing is just to know where they are and be aware of them because if you're playing the long side you want all your resistance levels in because you want to know where you're going to want to sell into if you're playing the short side you want to know where you're going to short into and then also cover into right so you know line to line is really the the kind of terminology that i like to use is just everything in between is just noise just play off the lines you know if you're going to short at a line pick the line don't short in the middle because in the middle it's it's just all noise it's garbage um the next line here that i would see personally is right around the 650 area you know we had these these two little wicks up to like 675 but you know it didn't it didn't really it didn't really push up to there very hard and then over here again you know checking volume once more you can see this is a bigger green candle right here so this one it had a tall wick so when i see it when i see a big top wick like that or a bottom wick it just indicates a lot of pressure on the side of the wick so to explain that a little bit more if i see a big top wick it means what happened is this stock shot up and there was a ton of selling pressure that just hammered it back down really fast exact same thing on the bottom side you know if you see a big bottom wick that means there's a ton of buying pressure. So for me, if I see something like that, you know, not in this case because I don't trade pre-market, but if this was near something that I was going to play, that to me is a really good indicator that you know this is where I might want to get short because there's a lot of selling pressure on top of that. Um, so I would I would use that the 650 area. You know, 650 is a line right there. Um, whole and half dollar marks are always you know kind of key levels. Everybody thinks you know oh, I'm going to sell it when it gets to. 10 bucks. So I'm going to sell it when it gets to 11 bucks. So I'm going to sell it when it gets to 11.50. You know, nobody, nobody really, for the most part, is like, yeah, I'm going to sell it when it gets to, you know, 11.23, 11.27. Like, you know, <laughs> like people don't, people don't really think about, think like that. So, yes, down here we have a line at 5.63. Um, but every time, every time I play around these personally, I always like range it a little bit. So if you're going to dip by it, um, you know, it's probably a good idea to maybe put an order up here at say, if you're trying to dip buy off this 563 line, maybe throw a buy order, one third size, 575, one right on the line, one a little bit below, you know, kind of spread them out over that line because it will wick through, it'll, it'll wick down and, it'll, you know, it'll wick up a little bit. It's never going to hit dead on that line. Perfect. Every time. So, you know, it's, it's good to leave a little bit of breathing room. Um, that was a big change actually 
playing these over NASDAQ. So I always joke with David about that because I always say, you know, when I first started trading, it was when OTCs were still really hot. And it only took me thir- three months to learn how to become profitable in OTCs. It took me another three years to learn how to become profitable in NASDAQs so when the OTCs died out. And that's a big reason right there is because in, in OTC markets, it is going to hit right on that 650 line to the dot. Like they're, they're so much more tight to their numbers. It's, it's really, really easy to read those ones. Um, but they, they don't really come around too often anymore. So I just don't even worry about them. Um, so hope I'm not going too fast. Let me know if it sounds like I'm going too fast. <laughs> yeah. In the comments. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to point out though, like, and it happened to me when I first started too. When I started drawing support and resistance lines, they're they're pretty obvious to find after you you find them for a while. But like when I first started, though, I always thought like that's if that's support. I thought that was support. It's not going to break that line. Like no, it could break. Like yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, the key is like the biggest thing to remember is is just look for the really really clear lines. Like you know, I've shown some of my friends who are real, like just starting to get into stocks. I show them this stuff and they can see it right away. Like, oh yeah, I know that makes sense. And I'll ask them like, where do you think the line is here? And they'll point it out to me. So, you know, it's pretty easy to see um, once you've looked at a couple charts and those are the ones you want to use anyways. You don't want to try and, you know, draw like in between here, if we zoom in again, like, you know, I could draw a line here at 630 on this top and say, okay, it kind of hit here, it kind of hit there. I could maybe draw a line at, you know, 585 because it's sort of bottomed out here, but like, if you're doing that, nobody else is going to see those lines, right? Everybody's going to look at this and say, okay, well, you know, it pushed up, it topped out here, and then it topped out again, and same on the bottom, it bottomed out, and then it bottomed out, and then it just kind of stayed in here. So just hit, pick the ranges and then use the, use the top and bottom of those ranges as your line. Because if you're playing in here, or you're trying to dip by in the middle of this or short in the middle of this, you know, there's, there's probably not a lot of people that are, that are doing that. Everybody else has probably got their orders up here and they're waiting. Right. It's it's whatever is really clear to you is going to be clear to everybody else. And then it's going to make the line a lot more viable. Again, I'm just moving through the day here. So keep an eye on the time frame at the bottom. You know, we're still pre-market. So seven o'clock, seven thirty eight, you know, nine thirty. Obviously, when the market opens, you get this big candle. Um, but we'll just you know, we'll go from up here. We'll look at the top. So, OK, we had, you know, six fifty was our previous high over the over the pre-market spike. And now what happens? You know, we get this big push right through it. You know, it kind of plays around it for a bit and then it takes right off again, rips up. So where's our next level? Could probably draw one right at the top here, right up at the top, 850. Again, whole and half dollar marks are always really, you know, a lot of people play off those. And then we got another candle here. Again, look at the volume. You know, we had really big volume coming up into the spike, kind of died off. And then we had a big, another big volume on the red candle. We got that big top wick again, showing that selling pressure. Next line, you know, okay, we kind of bounce off this 775 area comes down, you know, bounces up into the 775 area, comes down again, bounces up, touches that exact same line again, 775. So to me, that kind of makes sense, right? Like, you know, we got, we got pretty good volume up here. It bounces off that after a big spike, falls below it, and then it comes up and hits it, you know, fades to newer lows, and then it pushes right back up, hits that same level again. So to me, that makes sense. Like, that's, that's a line that I'd be interested in, 775, 76. So all this stuff... Sorry, yeah. Sorry, I just wanted to say that's a really good example of, you know, the old uh, adage where it's like uh, previous support will become resistance and previous resistance will become support once you break through it. So that yeah. one like broke through the support and it came back up to retest it and like, yep, that's that, that support is now resistance and it kept selling off from that point. Yeah. And the more 
the more times it hits a line, the more that line becomes viable. So, you know, let's say in pre-market here, we have something like this, you know, it comes up, bounces off this line, goes below it, you know, hits it, drops down, hits it again, and then maybe it drops down a bit and then it comes over it and then it bounces off of it and then it bounces off of it and then it goes below it again. You know, if it, if it kind of really draws a really clean line like that, that's a line where once it gets on either side of that, you know, if it's way above, that's a really good spot to dip by. If it gets below, that's a really good spot to short. The more times a line's hit, the more clear it becomes to everybody, the more people are going to be watching it to put their orders on it. And if the stock's below it, a lot of people are going to be wanting to sell into it or short into it. If it's above it, a lot of people are going to want to be cover or buying. So you just got to think about what everybody else is thinking. It's it's one of the big things that a lot of people I don't really think about is, you know, you want to you want to try and know what the masses are doing because that's what's that's what the stock's going to do. Um, so, you know, off here, off the open, um, you know, we get this little wick into the VWAP line and then the stock just kind of tanks out of the open, right? But again, if we look, you know, where did it kind of consolidate? If we go back to the open here, the pre-market, right up at 650, right? That was our, you know, quarter after 4 a.m. That was the line we drew. And then we come over to market open, you know, we get tank off the open and then it kind of consolidates right on the 650 line. So like these lines do become important, you know, everybody's looking at them. This, it's the simplest way to play charts. And then look, it comes down here. And then where do we bounce within, what's our low there? 563. So, you know, literally to the penny, 563 on that line we drew. Bounces off of it, you know, comes up to, I don't know, 615, whatever it is here. So, you know, this might be somewhere where you want to dip by, right? You know, this is our, this is our low from pre-market and then tanks off the open, bounces right off that low. So like, I don't play this, I, I don't play these moves personally. Um, I, like I said, I play day twos, but you can play these any, any way you want. The biggest thing is just whatever line you're gonna play, just stick to it, like have a plan, whatever your plan is. I mean, we've drawn four lines so far, so you can set up whatever kind of game plan you want on these lines, but whatever it is, just stick to it, right? Like, I mean, there's always a lot of chatter on Twitter and I find it gets really messy if you're paying too much attention to it. Um, I got lost in that too when I was learning. I would be, you know, I'd be looking at stuff, I'm learning and I'm just focusing on one pattern. Maybe it's something like this where I want to dip by off of, you know, the pre-market lows. And then, you know, somebody says, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to dip by it off six bucks, right? Because that's the, that's a good number. And then a couple other people say that and I'm like, oh, well, maybe I should dip by it off six bucks then. And then I'll try and buy it here and then it fades down, you know, 40 cents. And then I'm like, shit, and take the position off because I'm underwater. And then, you know, bounces right off the line that I thought it was going to. So, you know, just whatever plan you make, just stick to it. You know, whatever risk you're going to have under this, if you are buying off 563 and maybe you're going to risk, you know, it might come down to 550 because that's the half dollar mark. Maybe you're going to risk, you know, 542 or something, for example. Just stick to that. I mean, if somebody else says, you know, the risk, my risk is 553 and then you're like, oh, well, they're only risking 10 cents. I'm risking 20. So I'll do that and I'll double my size. Well, what if it wicks down to 553 in a split second? you lose and then it bounces up, you know, 50 cents, right? So just stick to your plan. I mean, if you're, if you're beginning, like it's going to take you a while to come up with a good plan. You know, you might really not know where you should risk, but um, whatever it is, just stick to it. Cause if you're in the middle of a play, somebody says something and it's just going to, it's just going to stress you out. I know it did to me and it, it made me lose a lot of trades. It wasn't until I just ignored all that stuff. Um, I don't even look at Twitter until the end of the day personally, because I'm usually trading stuff that other people are trading and they usually have a different way of trading them than I do. So <laughs> I don't need to pay attention to it. 
No, that's a good point. I actually try to avoid Twitter for stuff that I want to trade because I don't want it to influence any of my thoughts. I want to reach my conclusions and everything independently. Yeah. Yeah, it becomes a lot less stressful to you. Just block it all out, you know, have your trades. Like, I'll look at it, you know, like on the weekend or like, you know, before market opens to see what people are kind of talking about. But if I'm actually making a decision, I'm not listening to anybody. So we'll just, we'll just keep kind of running through the day here slow just so we can see how these lines that we drew before market open kind of play out, right? So, and you can draw more through the day. Like, you know, maybe you want to put one here. You know, we kind of, kind of perked up a little bit there and then we bounced into it again. So like, maybe this becomes a line, you know, I'm not sure. 616, let's just draw it in there and see what happens. So here, you know, like David said, I mean, it doesn't mean it can't go below the line. So you get one bounce, then it tanks through. That's a really important thing as well, is usually you only get one shot on these things. So if you're trying to dip buy off a line, do it the first time. If it comes down to it again, your odds are probably cut in half for if it's actually gonna bounce again. So just take the first one. Same with the short, you know, here, if you're trying to short up into, I know I just drew this line, but let's say it was there. You're trying to short up into 616, you know, short it once and then cover. If it comes back up into it again, you probably don't wanna take that shot because that's, you know, you're hitting it twice, it could break through. First shot's always your best shot. So here, you know, we kind of, we kind of get stuck under 563 for a little bit keeps bouncing off of it and then we you know we break through again that that's basically a good example right there what i was just saying you know it comes up to it here and then you can short this level and then you know it hits it again yeah and then it comes through it right so your your odds just kind of go down the more time it's hitting one level this one here so you know this 616 line that we drew isn't really viable based on this spike here so 650 though that was the one that we drew again i think that was a pre-market highs if we go back yeah so that was our pre-market highs right there six 650 or not our pre-market high sorry or just our first spike you know 4 a.m spike was 650 and then that's basically where we bounce up into you know our high was uh 645 so we're we're five cents from the top and that again that's kind of what i was talking about with those wicks so you know if you put an order out at you know 640 650 660 just around that line and it comes up to here you know at least you get a 30 year position on right and then it comes down and i'm just going to take this line out of here you know, so say you get a starter position on here at 640, a third size, that's great, you know. Comes down, where does it bounce? Right off that same line, 560, 563, right? And then we come up again, and look at this, right? So we hit it once, hit the 650, bounce off the 563, and then what happens the second time we hit it? Blows through it, and it goes to the moon, right? That's why, again, always just take, take that first shot. Don't push your luck, because... The more time it hits something, the, your chances are going to go down and down. And down. this is actually one of my favorite long patterns while we while we have this here. Um, it works really. It works on low float stocks. Like the lower the better. You know, three three million, two million kind of. Um, but what what I look for is something like exactly like this. You know, we have a big spike in the morning. Stock looks dead, right? You know, we're we're down here. It's below VWAP. It's been selling off. It was eight fifty pre market. It's just been tanking, tanking. Big volume you know, lots of selling. And then you get this little perk. See the volume down here again, guys, remember to keep an eye on the volume. All midday, really low, right? You know, you get these kind of little pushes. Every time you get a bit of a volume push, you're getting close to a line, right? Because why is that happening? Because people are looking at these lines. More people are trading close to that line, right? That's what you want to see. You want to see everybody playing on your line. And then we get over here, you know, volume comes up. Now we got even more volume. So we're up to, these are the three minute candles again. We have a million volume on the three minute candles, right? Back here, we only had 500,000. So we're getting more of a push up into this line. 
and then we sit right on top of the VWAP right there. That's where, you, you know, if this happens, you can go long real big. <laughs> this is this is probably one of the best long setups that you can play. Really low float stock, ideally. I mean, if it's a million shares, buy more. You know, if it's five million share float, buy a little bit less kind of thing. The, the lower the float, the better. But if you have something like that where the stock is just dead all day long, and then, you know, in the afternoon, you get this little push and it sits over VWAP on higher volume. Remember that, it's very important. Just, you know, this this is where I would just pile into it. And then you can see here, you know, you get this absolutely massive squeeze. You could buy in here at 650 and, you know, sell up into 10 bucks. Like that's a huge move in, what is that, 1430, about an hour, right? So you make 80% in an hour. And then again, like, look at this, you know, we had our 776 and our 850 lines from, uh, from pre-market and look what happened. You know, we had a little bit of consolidation on that line, right? Why is that happening? Because people are trading right here. There's probably people selling into this line because they knew it was there. There's probably people shorting here because they think this is the top. All the people that shorted there, what happened on this big candle? They got blown out because it went up to the 850 line, right? And then again, as soon as we hit the 850 line, you have more volume again and then it kind of comes down, right? So. This, this just shows you that people are using those lines. That's really good. If you can see a little bit of consolidation or something around your lines, that means that you're picking the right lines. And this is something you guys can just play with, right? Exactly the way we're doing here. Just find a chart that moved, you know, close your eyes, whatever, scroll back to the beginning of what had happened and just, you know, just drag the chart over candle by candle, draw your lines in, and then just, just see how the pattern played out and see if your lines actually lined up with things like this, with higher volume, with, with tops, with consolidation. And if you can do that on a, you know, you can do that on a weekend and just go through a hundred charts, right? So it's not something that takes a long time to get used to. You can just, you know, rip through a million of these things. And if your lines are all in the right spot, you're seeing volume near your lines, you're seeing, you know, tops and bottoms and consolidation, then you know you're making the right decisions. Hmm. Going back to what we, you were saying earlier about uh, keeping it simple, like, like when, when you first start getting into this stuff and looking at charts, you're probably going to start drawing a million lines because they're just going to pop up everywhere. You start to see a million lines. But then what you eventually want to do is be able to separate what's noise and what's actually a signal. And you want to recognize all the lines, but also recognize which are probably the most important lines. And those are the ones to focus on. Because right. you, know, you probably start off with a chart with like 50 lines. And you're like, yeah, well, that this connects here and that connects there. But then that's not useful at that point. Yeah. I still do that sometimes. Like, I'll, I'll keep you sitting there. And like, some, you know, th like this one's pretty clean, but sometimes they're a little bit messier, right? Yeah. And I'll yeah. be looking at it and like, I'm drawing them, I'm drawing them. And then like, I'm looking at it and I'm like thinking where I want to enter and I'm like, like, fuck, this is way too busy, man. And I'll just, I'll, I'll just, I'll delete every single one of them and I'll kind of like just look back and I'll be like, okay, what, what do I immediately see? Like this one, this one, and this one. I'm like, all right, I'll just use those ones. Right. It's what, whatever is really, really easy to see is the ones you want to use because that's what everybody else sees. And then it's clear here, right? I mean, you know, we went from, we went from 660 to, you know, 675. Like that's a, you know, it's a buck 25. That's a huge move. You have a thousand shares there. You just made 1200 bucks. Right. <laughs> so, and that's in six minutes and look, it's, it's just straight green in between because there's nothing in here. You know, let's, let's go back. So what did we have in here? You know, we had, yeah, we had this top out of the open, but you know, this is all like, it's relatively messy in here, right? You can draw, you know, like I can say, okay, this was a base. Sure, you know, it kind of fluttered through it and then it kind of pulled through it again. So it's not a great one. You know, it topped out here too. So yeah, I mean, you could draw a line there, sure, but it's not super clear. It's not like this one where you had this huge move and then that's where it bounced off of. 
And then that's where it tanked through and then it hit it and then it hit it. Like that one's a lot more clear. So that's kind of what we're saying is you, you can busy these charts up really bad with a lot of lines, but it's just, it just keeps it really simple. The less you have, the easier it is to play. And this is, I think this is a pretty good example of that. And, and again, thing is, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and these are only horizontal lines. Like you could draw diagonals too, right? So like you can yeah. get really stupid. <laughs> yeah. I've uh, with trend lines myself. No, right? you, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Uh, there's a trader, Peter Brent. He's like one of the legends. And yeah. uh, he, 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 I, I follow him on Twitter. And just a couple of weeks ago, he was complaining. He's like, he's like, he only likes drawing and playing uh, horizontal lines. Okay. And he's like, he noticed, because he's been trading since like the 60s, right? He noticed as soon as algorithms started trading more, he noticed diagonal lines started showing up. He's mm -hmm. like, that never used to be a thing before. But for some reason, when algo showed up, diagonal started making a play. Okay. And he, says it's, and he says it screws him up. It screws yeah. him up a lot. Yeah. Hmm. But he's at yeah, a point in his career please. where he, yeah. So, but I do a lot. So I, for some reason, I like, I love diagonals. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then he's like saying like, cause he doesn't trade. He doesn't really need to trade for money now. He's, he's good. Right. So like, he's like, because he, the diagonals throw him off, he only plays, he plays very rarely and only when, when it's the horizontals that don't work. Yeah. I've noticed the horizontals always seem to have a bigger move too. Like they do. It's from and because like the tricky part and the only time I guess that I would use a, a diagonal line is like the you know the standard ABCD setup. I think we went through that yep. with one of our first podcasts. Yep. Um, I'll yep. draw my diagonal line down because as soon as it breaks that line to the upside, that's when I'll go long. But what I'm doing is if you look at the ABC, you know you have one big top and then it comes down. You have a, a smaller top, it comes down, and then you have the third top. So. I'll use I'll use those tops as my horizontal lines to sell. So usually what I do is I'll, I'll buy when it breaks the diagonal line, and then I'll sell a third into the one into the first top, and then I'll sell a third into the high, and then I'll hold that last third for you know for the push if it if it just rockets out right. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I mean if if I'm buying on a diagonal line, there's there's immediate resistance like right you know from ten minutes ago. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Do you mind uh, changing share screens? I'm gonna. Sure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show mine. Uh, unless you got more to it, you're good. No, I mean, that was pretty much it. Yeah, I was just cool. going to um, kind of run through the run through it. But I mean, yeah, if you guys take a look at that, um, I mean, I don't know when you're going to watch this podcast, but any, any kind of stock that runs like that, just just take a look at them and do what we did there. Just start at the far left side and draw your lines as you go. If you're seeing that your lines are getting hit, they're getting rejected, there's volume on them, then you know you're making the right decisions. And then all you have to do is just figure out how you want to trade them. I mean, everybody trades them differently. So just come up with a game plan. But that's that's the easiest way to keep it simple. And simple is, you know, contrary to popular belief, it's a lot easier to, to make money if you're very, very simple with your charts. You don't need 1,600 indicators to tell you what to do. <laughs> oh, man. I, I got stories, man. Like, uh, so I'm on, I, I, have a, I have a different chat just for, like, crypto guys from back a few years ago. There's a couple of us. And then, so we all started with Elliott Waves. I don't know if you've heard of, heard of that. I've heard of them. I've never used them. Fucking biggest scam in the world. Like, <laughs> I think it it would it probably it may have worked for the period it was designed in because it's it's a it's um it's a strategy it's a it's a it's a pattern recognition strategy based on psychology. But okay. I think the problem is as soon as computers and algorithm trading other more advanced strategies came in, because it, it, it's it seems to be really good at looking at psychology. But then once psychology is not as much of a factor anymore it's it's not accurate anymore right hmm. but but what happened with elliott waves is like it's such a flawed system because you can never be wrong that's why that's why i gave it up it's garbage 
because okay. so 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 it believes in everything called um waves it believes in waves right so like if if a stock is in a bull market then it'll do three waves up and it's always two waves down so it's always three waves up and two waves down okay and then and then you can use fibs to decide how far up and how far down these waves happen but that's basically the structure of it right okay but the problem with elliott waves is that they have waves and they have sub waves and they have macro waves and then, so what happens was let's say you're on the daily right you look at you look at you see what's obviously three waves a three-way pattern and then you look at uh, a one-way consolidation you're like oh shit it's uh, it's doing a one way it's got three waves up and one way down so it's probably gonna have one more wave down and then continue on right right but then if the if that if that last wave doesn't happen it doesn't prove the system wrong the system tells you it just means that there's a microwave that you missed and then now it's a smaller and it starts breaking it up so basically oh, okay. yeah exactly there, there you go thank you yeah sam, <laughs> sam learned a little bit of elliott wave with us too it's just so ridiculous like so basically so the, the, those oh, yeah. large those large blue numbers are, are the the macro waves and then the the smaller numbers are like the microwaves and then you can even get them even smaller right so basically, okay. every time you're wrong, you're not wrong. You just mistake the, a, a larger way for a smaller one. And it, it, so you could always use like hindsight to, to prove that you were actually right. You just didn't recognize something. So it's like, yeah, that doesn't make you know, sense. No, right. So it's like if you have a strategy that can never be wrong, then how can you ever trust it? it, yeah. it should, there should be a clear line of this is right and this is wrong. And then that's how you play. But if, if it's never technically wrong, then, you know. Yeah, that's why I just like that's why I like the simple indicators. Like you said, you know, the 50 day moving average, like if I am doing swings or something like that, it's just, you know, I'm not using it to play off of. I'm not using it as like, you know, I'm going to enter now because these two indicators are crossing over. I'm just like I can look at it quick and say, OK, you know, it's over the 50 day moving average. It's probably relatively bullish. That's it. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to I'm going to make the trade based on the chart pattern. That's just kind of like, a, you know, a three percent like okay yeah i think i'm i think i'm making the right decision this thing lines up with it that's all it is yeah i think that's the key like elliott wave gives this false sense of certainty it's like oh it's making starting to make sense it gives you this false sense of certainty and then mm -hmm. i think that's why traders get chewed up because there's nothing certain in the market right yeah where it's like if you keep it simple it's like you know like exactly like you said it's probably here it's probably there but if it's not then you use money management and bet sizing to kind of hedge your risks and right like that's the more important part of trading not like certainty right. well i was listening to an interview with a guy and he said he had a good point too he said it was exactly what we we're just talking about he said the only indicators i use are the one that i know most people use which is you know the 20 day <laughs> moving average the 50 day and the 200 yeah. because yeah. he's like i i know that most people use those indicators more than any other indicators so if i can play off those i know that there's a, a larger quantity of people that are playing off them so it gives my trades more more uh more you know uh, credibility i guess you could say whereas yeah. if you're using like you said like an elliott wave and there's like 16 different wave cycles inside the one wave i mean how many people are really going to be looking at that one little no cycle one. you have exactly and then it's useless right yeah and the other thing that like bothered the crap out of me about elliott wave was like i would spend hours drawing this shit like because you you got to go from like the, the the weekly to the daily to the hourly to like the minutes because there's waves on every yeah, because there's waves on every time frame, and you and I'm drawing, and, and there's I, I can show you the tool on uh, TradingView. So like, oh you spent hours drawing this whole masterpiece, 
And then as soon as the price action does something you don't expect, it's all done. It's, it's all garbage. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I just sit there and delete everything and start again. It's like, son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the next, the next day a market opens and it just, it just throws out 10 hours worth of drawing lines. Yeah, and the funny thing is, like, so I was, I'm still the only one in the group that just gave it up, right? I guess okay. it's hard, like, once you've invested so much time learning something, it's hard to say, like, you know, but, yeah, like, every once in a while, it. yeah, exactly. And then every once in a while, a guy in a group will pull up a chart, I'm looking, I'm like, I don't even, I, I don't even want to look at it, just so many disgusting lines, I'm like, what the fuck, I can't dissect this shit, like, I'm like, listen, I have one line, one price, it's there, it's not, I don't care, like, whatever you're doing, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah, right. some people's charts I see, man, I look at them, I'm just like, I don't even know what the hell I'm looking at right now. Like, yeah, there's these six indicators are crossing over, and you can see the volume is doing this pattern, and there's this over there, and these indicators are diverging, and I'm just, I'm looking at it, I'm like, that just looks like gibberish to me. You know what I even saw once? I, I know some people do this, like the moving averages. Like, you know how like most people use like the, the 20, the 50, or 200, one, or maybe three of them? Yeah. There's some guys out there that'll put like six on there, it looks like a fan. Yeah. And they're like, whenever these ones cross over, then that's when you get it, get it, and when they cross, you know what I mean? Like, it's just a crazy strategy, but like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. How, I always found that kind of tricky. Like, I, I guess there's a way to do it, but anytime I looked at those, anytime they, that they seemed to cross over, it always seemed like it was too late. Exactly. Like, by the time I could actually see the lines cross, like it had already spiked up thirty percent or something. Yeah, if you're waiting, like, you know how people are always talking about the death cross? Oh, it's going to go to the death cross. Yeah. By the time you see the death cross, it's already tanked. Like, the thing's yeah. already tanked. It's over. I know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, they, maybe they just play it off the actual chart pattern, and then, you know, they're already in because they, they're reading something else, and then when it comes down, it, it crosses them, and then that, that just gives them their confirmation. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. I don't, know. I don't use them. Like, I mean, you guys see what I do. I draw lines that I see. That's it. <laughs> I honestly think, like, because we listened to that other podcast chat with traders, it's a good one we could recommend. Um, yeah. Because, like, I think the consensus of all the traders on there, it's like, the it's mostly bet sizing. Like, most of them don't even talk about their strategy because like, it's almost irrelevant. Like, who cares yeah. what strategy I use? It's like, it's like how you manage risk. Yeah. 100% it is. That's the biggest thing is you can, you can make money in any way in the market, but it's just, you know, whenever you're going to lose, just make sure you don't lose that much. Everybody loses. <laughs> yeah. Sam, do you mind pulling up my screen? I just want to show the fib retracement because this week we had some really interesting price action. And um, I just run a really quick fib through a couple of these assets and it worked out super, super well. Um, so this is uh, XBang on the daily. So there's my diagonal line. This is why I love them. They're, like, I, this is why I love them because they're always like this. So, so for me, this would have been a buy area for me. Like if, okay. if this if this happened like um, if this happened like here, the diagonal would still play, and this was like oh, twenty seconds. So it's like you know, or beginning of the week. I would have drawn the diagonal, and if I didn't have a position in this thing, I would have put my buy orders around here. So I'm using a mix of like probably where the horizontal would be and where the um, the diagonal would be. So that would be my spot. You probably change those day to day, right? As it went further away. Uh, the diagonal, no, I would leave it. No, like I mean, your orders. Like if you're like, like if it go, if it went further, you know, if it went five days away, then your diagonal line's lower, right? So you'd want to adjust those orders. Yeah, but it, but the thing about diagonals is it'll get to the point, and it goes in both directions. It'll get to the point where it's almost irrelevant. Like if I'm if we're all the way over here, it's like August. That diagonal is just irrelevant. Like I don't see the right. price taking to like 
five dollars. So <laughs> so like so like for me like diagonals are like a short term, almost like a short term support resistance that have an expiry date. There's a certain time that passes that they just become useless. Okay. Um, but yeah, I was just gonna say like so on the twelve. You know how I like before I told you I like the hide indicators on on different time frames. Yeah. So my daily looks kind of clean, and, and then on the twelve hour one, I've I've got a couple indicators here um, that I hit. So like. So this is the fib retracement. Whoops, what did I just delete? So this is the fib retracement. I'll pull that out again. And this is the fib extension. So like if we're what the hell are you doing? So if we're going like um, before trying to figure out where. So the, I, I like using the fib uh, extension tool. So if we look at the previous high with this swing, with the first swing low, the absolute swing low, and this swing high, you get this, you get these fib extension numbers, and look, the the price actually bounced right at the one point two seven. So usually one point six eight is the target, and if you look at it, it kind of coincides exactly with this cluster of price action. So this would be a support area because a lot of people definitely bought it and sold here, but yeah. but this area, the the, the one point two seven, look at it lines up almost exactly at this area too so th i don't know why these fibs work so well but i mean they, they work so that's why i use them so that so if i was trading this thing and i'm like a few days earlier i like around this area i already have these three points so i would have made these three points and it would have just waited i would have put a buy order here to see what, what would happen it's 25 bucks 40 cents or 20 25 30 so that that would have been a, an area for buy order for me and if you did that you would have had from swing to swing high 50 percent uh uh, gain on your on your um, on your trade, hmm. and that makes perfect sense too, right? If you did catch it at the bottom here, you'd want to sell around the fifty percent mark, and that kind of explains why it sold off exactly there, right? And then, so now that we're here, what I would do is I pull down the fib retrace. So again, the swing high to the swing low, right? So I would I would start expecting I would I would do I actually did set a bunch of sell orders around this area right here. In the fifty-three, uh, the forty-four, forty-three dollars and forty-four dollars zone, right? So look, it, it bounced off almost exactly at the fifty, and just sold right off. So that's why I like using this fibs a lot because um, I almost, I almost never, I just noticed actually, I almost never draw horizontal uh, horizontal lines anymore. I just use fibs for my horizontal, and then, then I use diagonals. I just realized that. It's funny though, like it, it, you could do, you could almost do it both ways on this chart. Like if you look at where you did your. Uh... Your first fib when you pulled it down like from the swing high to the very low there the very first one that yep. bottom lines up almost right with that top as well where you were selling and then your yep. yeah down there is where you dip by and that yep. would be your you know your high kind of like in the last chart we looked at it's called your pre-market high right yeah so yep. you get that horizontal line and then the the top where you would have sold into off of that right there yeah with the low from you know from what a couple months ago or whatever right yep right yeah. there yeah exactly so it, see, it just it just goes to show like all these tools. A lot of them kind of overlap. So like, there's really no need to draw, start drawing fibs and then horizontal numbers because a lot of them just start lining up anyway. Yeah, well, it just gives you more confirmation, right? Confirmation with a really messy chart. <laughs> 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 but the, but that's why they're like this is like the one of the most underutilized tool, the fib retracement. So I'll show you Tesla too. Like all these charts. Oh, that's messy. I get rid of that. <laughs> Yeah, because I noticed Tesla was trading in a zone right now. And um, let's see, we get out of here. A little bit cleaner. So, yeah, like Tesla bounced off the 50. 
sold off for the two threes and then bounced off the three eight. Like th this is a fib that I put there weeks ago, and it just keeps playing within the within within these zones. So this mm -hmm. is a buy zone, and my next target is going to be a breakout. But I was just going to say, like even on a smaller time scale, because this is on a daily, but even on a smaller time scale, in, in just this cluster of price action, blind, I could do the swing low to the swing high, and look at that Tesla bounced off today right at the six one eight. Hmm. Right, that the, the days earlier bounced right off to fifty, went up, got rejected. So what's the next target? Six one eight. If it gets rejected here, I'm expecting it to go down to the seven eight level. So it's going to be five seventy five seventy five, like would be a would be a buy zone, right? And then the same thing like Nvidia too. So I had these fibs earlier, but if I get rid of them, clean it up. Like even if I'm just playing this little price cluster again, swing low, swing high, like. This is that, that that's also why I highlighted the 618 of all the numbers. This is the most important number. Time and time again, these prices retrace to this level. And it works backwards too, um, usually. So like instead of going from swing low to swing high, I can I can start from swing high to swing low and we can see how this plays out. Right? Coverage it bounced from here, got rejected by the 50, came back down. Yeah. So so this would have been a target, but 50s are a pretty decent target too. But this would have been, would have been my ultimate uh, sell area. It's just a uh, it's just a really interesting tool. So because of this, I got I got you can you can see like I use my uh, I play with triangles a lot, but I but most of my charts you you almost never see horizontal lines anymore. I just use my fibs, and it works in like higher time frames too. So I did a fib I did a fib quick fib extension there. Which I should probably change because we have a new swing low, but yeah. So like, if 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 uh, Nvidia ever breaks out, my sell area would be right here, the six 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 sixty fives area, because it's it's going to be a new price area. It's never hit that price before. So the only way to kind of like get a feel for where people might sell off is these is either psychological numbers like we were talking about earlier, yeah. or I would use these fib numbers. Yeah, I mentioned that last week, and when I was playing around with these in mine, is anytime we're breaking out to new highs, I found them pretty useful to find areas to short into. Yeah, See, I drew a horizontal there, but I didn't even need to. It's right to five, fifth, uh, to 50%. Bounce right off the 50%, off the 2.6, off the 3.8, and now we're looking for breakouts. So I drew this weeks earlier. I love my diagonals. I drew this weeks earlier, and I'm just, and, and, th and this is like, and so I drew, I, I don't know if you remember, but I showed a chart a long time ago on Instagram. I drew that line. I said this Tesla was going to break out of this uh, rising wedge and it was going to go down. Yeah. And then I drew these lines here, and I, that's how I'm going to predict it's going to happen. Assuming the market um, sentiment doesn't change, right? Because tomorrow the Fed could come out and say something crazy like, hey, we're raising interest rates. That changes the picture completely. Right. right? But it, but if the overall market, the picture doesn't change completely, I, I say the price is going to bounce within this range, consolidate, and it's going to break out probably around June. Are you doing this on like any stock that's that's moving or are you only doing this on the ones like that you're actually researching? Only the ones I'm researching, but I could do this for like, I, I, I think that's kind of an important point to note is that you know we don't people shouldn't just kind of try and dip by something that's spiked up based on Fibonacci lines because it could be a crappy company. <laughs> it could just <laughs> oh yeah, well, it's gonna be. I want to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, no, I only trade companies like I I really like. See, this one's concerning me. I drew that. I drew a horizontal line because there's a little bit of a divergence. So the price, the the RSI is coming down on higher price action. And so that's called a divergence. And then so a lot of people trade immediately as soon as they see a divergence. 
but that's actually premature. What you want to see is, because what RSI is basically a momentum indicator, it's showing the moment, but the momentum is slowing down even though the price is going up. So that's one sign that this, this rally is starting to weaken, but you don't want to like short it until you have a break of, of this trend. And then now today we're having a break of the trend. So now like I'm thinking the, the next uh, buy, buy zone is probably here about a buck. So if it does break down, like what's it going to break down? It's like 45%. This would be a nice buy zone. Big good short zone right now for me. Yeah, this is actually, this might, this might be up your alley, man. This is a uh, 400, uh, under $500 million, uh, this is a little small cap, little micro cap there. Perfect. <laughs> a million, <laughs> million, volume is a million shares. That's not yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Nouveau Mon Graphite. Yeah, they had a, quite, quite a bit of a rally. Look, they went from 18 cents to a buck. They did like 100% or a 1,000% move in six months. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, the same graphite and like industrials and stuff are all apparently supposed to be pretty big this year, like over tech. Yeah, I've been hearing that too. I think um, the consensus is the environment's moving towards commodities, especially in Ooh. a high inflation environment. So you want to get copper, you want to get graphite, mining, whatever, stuff like that. Yeah, iridium, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I just had a couple of things, a couple of graphics I found uh, earlier that I thought would be interesting. Speaking of uh, less trading, but more investing. Um, this is the 2020 returns for they call it the Fantasium stocks. So like <laughs> yeah, okay. Facebook outfit, Netflix. I guess I guess Fang is like it no oh, longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we got Zoom, we got Microsoft. So you got we got the heavy hitters, right? We got the returns. The big one, Zoom, 400 percent. Tesla's 300 percent. 2020. Yeah. The S&P did four four and a half. <laughs> right. So the average stock in these, uh, the average price in these. So this is why I think stock picking is a big deal, right? The S and P did four and a half. Meanwhile, you would have more than doubled your money had you put it in, you know, an average or a group and just spread it out among these guys. Right. Um, but here's what I thought was really interesting. Um, if you looked at price to earnings, there's a lot of investors, old school investors, like, oh, that you know, Tesla's got a ridiculous price to earnings. It's it's overpriced. It's too expensive, right? Because the average for the S and P is twenty four point three. PE ratio, uh, and even twenty four is actually considered expensive for uh, for for S and P. Like traditionally, it's supposed to be around twenty. So the S and P is about so the, the the entire index of the S and P is about twenty percent overvalued than it normally is. And even then, if you look at Tesla and Zoom, it's like what the hell, right? Yeah. Um, but here's but here this next ratio is the one I want to talk about. Um, it's the price to earnings um, divided by uh, EPS earnings per share. And you want to see a number below one. Numbers below one are actually showing that there's value, and Tesla is actually in the value category. So, so you actually per share is so high because the earnings per share is so high. The price per sales, look at that, it's huge. And they're they're they have um crazy sales growth. So like if you look at quarter over quarter, their their earnings are just continue because because Tesla's only their Tesla's only demand uh, supply constraint. So as long as they have supply, people will buy it. So every car they make is sold, right? So the more cars they make, the, the more money they'll generate. So, so that's why they're like the ultimate growth stock. So like, I just want to show this to make the point that if you're only strictly looking at earnings per share, you're, you're getting like a tenth of the picture, right? So especially for investing, it's really important to look at all the other metrics too. They're undervalued in the PEG ratio area. Because, you know, Apple's like a great company, great earnings per share, but their growth is pretty steady and kind of slow because it's just so big at this point, right? Right. Um, so, so at Tesla is what you want to see. Alphabet's still kind of growing nice. Amazon's doing quite well. Facebook, right? So this is there's so there's different metrics to kind of look at. 
with these ones. Um, what do you think about the new Apple uh, electric car that I keep hearing about? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm confused why they want to do it. Um, I, oh, you know what? I, I forgot what analyst made a good point about Apple cars because the argument was that um, it's a growing market, especially if it's autonomous driving. So Tesla mm-hmm. makes like a fleet of cabs or like low cost cars or whatever it is, right? And then they're like saying like, well, Apple could take over the interior of the car. They could sell you software or whatever it is. Uh, but I'm like, but but here's the counter argument that I thought was really interesting. Like they're like, but Apple, but why why would why would having a computer in your car be worth any money? Because you have a computer in your pocket, right? If you want to buy software, just buy it on your phone. You're in your car anyway. Yeah. So I don't know. That's pretty much any new car you buy now has Apple CarPlay in it, like preloaded. Yeah, exactly. So like I, I don't know. They, they must see something that nobody else sees like it's, it's and they must think that there's something they can do that nobody else can i just i don't i don't i can't figure out what it would be yeah i don't even know how far along they are i've just like i've just kind of like heard chatter like here and there that this is ha- this might be happening well they so, haven't they haven't admitted yet so no just, i've just been yeah. like hearing like little whispers here and there that, that this is probably going to be a thing I wonder though if this is going to be one of Apple's failed projects or, or like one of those ones that was like a dead end. Like, remember the, for a while they, they wanted to make an actual Apple television, but it ended up just being a box because they oh, thought yeah. they could make a better television. That was right? easy. Yeah. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Even Steve Jobs, like, it's a, it's a little hobby project, it's a little side project. Yeah. It never went anywhere. Right. So I wonder if the car might be that kind of thing where it's like they'll experiment with it. It's a, it's a curious industry, but. Kind of just fizzles out. If I picture an Apple car in my head, I just picture something like really round and white. <laughs> I know, I know, right? <laughs> I don't know why. I just picture this little like round white blob going down the road. Can you imagine? <laughs> they literally take the Apple icon and make it into a car. You just drive that. Yeah, like, that's all I'm thinking of. Like, it's really, like, it's really round and just run down the road. It looks really like, <laughs> It'd be like a little 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 taxi Apple fleet, like just yeah, easily yeah. visible. That may yeah. be pretty cool. <laughs> but uh, Sam, you might show up. I just have one more infographic to show up. Awesome. So I was reading. Um, there's, there's there's an analyst firm called Fundstrat, and they're actually one of the the hottest analyst firms right now because they've been right, like bang on when most people were wrong. And they were saying that um, their outlook for 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 stock picking was that you should look at stocks that millennials like, look at stocks uh, or brands that millennials like. And so these are the top ones that I could find, like so Apple, Amazon, Tesla, Facebook. I don't know why Berkshire is there, but um, yeah, that's that's kind of weird. Yeah, isn't the top price like three hundred thousand a share or something too? Like three hundred and thirty. Yeah, <laughs> the hell kind of millennials got that kind of money? <laughs> I know. Oh, well, actually, that leads into my next point. So, oh, actually, wait, am I a millennial? Maybe I'm a millennial. I don't know. I don't know what the cutoff is. Actually, you probably are. You're, you're not a you're not a Gen Z. No, no. Yeah, you're probably millennial. See, the thing that bothers me is that I'm on the I'm on the the cusp of of not being like I'm a Gen Xer or a millennial. Okay. Like I, I have more in common with Gen Xers than millennials, so I so I hate being put in that category. But, but I thought Gen Xers are the ones that are even younger. No, Gen Xers are right after the Boomers. Oh, okay. So what so are the Boomers, boomers Gen X, millennials, and then Gen Y? Gen Y. Okay. So those are the ones that get mad at everything. <laughs> they're, they're, they are the snowflakes. Okay. Okay. Because they're the kids raised by millennials, you know, mm. the alternative thinking group. Right. Yeah. Let's leave but, it um, <laughs> but, but, but yeah, so the fun show was making a point. They're like saying, one, 
millennials are 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 heading into their income earning prime um and they're also they're going to be inheriting the massive wealth from the boomers oh <laughs> right so there's going to be a massive very well yeah <laughs> so there's going to be a massive wealth transfer they're like saying so like so what you really want to do is target millennials whatever stocks they like will probably do quite well in the future that would be interesting yeah it's kind of interesting to know because it kind of makes sense if you think about it you know if you think of like everyone that was the baby boomers like they were all about industrials right you know yeah and now it's all about tech but still yeah. we're, we're hearing that everybody's going into industrials again so Kind of and, and, and that's the funny debate. So I was talking with my friend about it that uh, so they're the family with the family office. And it's like our bet is that all those all those uh, traditional plays are 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 going to be the, 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 the bad bets. The counter trend is to keep with growth stocks because the consensus right now is the growth stocks are like done. It's going to reorientation, blah, blah. It's all you hear every day. Right. Yeah. But but we, we disagree because we think, yes. If you look at it just from a strategy perspective, if you remove history and all the other contexts, then what you should be doing right now is going into commodities and industrials and financials or whatever. But if you actually put it into context and look at how the world is changing, those industries are absolutely dead. You're not going to see a bank get more customers. You're not going to see oil companies expanding. They're going to be dying. It's all about renewables. And so like, it's still the tech companies that will win when the tech companies are still the growth stocks. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is like, you know, like even Apple, stuff like that, like, yeah, they've been around forever, but that's, they're constantly coming out with new stuff, better stuff. Like, you know, we have Apple homes, we have Apple glasses now, I think like iPhones keep getting better. Like there, there's all every six months, it seems like there's this new revolutionary thing that's coming out. So, you know, why, why would that stop? I mean, it just, yeah. it just keeps improving. Right. So it doesn't, the company's not just going to kind of peter off because they're just going to keep getting better. Yeah. And, um, I was listening to a podcast and these, these VC guys, are made, they made a good point. It's like, it's th like 10, 15 years ago, it used to be that you're a technology company. You're, you're a technology company, you come out, you do something new, right? Um, like a Netflix. But then right. now they're like saying like, to, technology companies have shifted to, to, to a point where they're not doing anything new anymore. They're just replacing old businesses, right? So like a Zoom will replace the boardroom kind of, kind of example, right? Okay. Yeah. You're just kind of digitizing legacy businesses now. So, so that's yeah. why the, the, there's a shift. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, I mean, pretty much everything that's coming out lately is just, you know, it's just a matter of conveniences, right? Like self-driving cars, you know, Apple Home, like all this kind of stuff that just makes everything easier, right? You just have to move less. <laughs> right. But even like the most mundane stuff, so like retail, uh, the stores are getting destroyed by Shopify and online retail grocery yep. you're getting deliveries now so like all that brick and mortar physical world kind of stuff is all going digital now mm. so it's, a, it's quite an interesting shift so why is everybody buying amc right now that's my question <laughs> i just wanted to ruin your day that is a very good question that's a very you know you know what, what would destroy a, the amc trade because i experienced something similar to it last year i bought um air transat this is like um Right, you know, after all the airlines tanked, right? Okay. Um, I, I, I bought Trans Air Transat because a buddy of mine, he's a middle level manager at Air Canada, and I wanted to avoid airlines, but he told me some good things. He's like, well, first of all, Air Canada, apparently they were well capitalized, they could survive, it's not a problem. And then they struck a deal the, the, earlier in the year where, where they're going to buy Air Transat. I forgot, like uh, 15 bucks a share, something like that. Okay. And then at the time, Transat uh, shares uh, fell to like seven bucks or 10 bucks, something like that. So I was like, wow. I buy this stock at 10 bucks and the takeover gets approved and happens at 15. I make an easy 50%. Yeah. <laughs> that did not happen. 
What, what happened? So, so, so I think this might happen to AMC. So what happened was Air Canada negotiated the $15 a share when before COVID, right? They looked at the books like, okay, you guys are worth 15 bucks a share. Post COVID or during COVID, obviously transit wasn't flying. They're basically just like a mess of debt. Right. So what I didn't see coming was Air Canada renegotiated with Air Transit. They're like, listen, you guys could go bankrupt or you're going to take our $7 a share offer. It's mm -hmm. up to you. They, they were just like, they just didn't even care anymore. Like, we don't, we don't, we don't even watch you right now. Right. And uh, so I bought it at 10. I sold it at 7. Uh, <laughs> did they end up buying yeah. it or did it just not happen? The shareholders overwhelmingly approved the $7 a share, the 50, the, the half, a, you know, cut, cut the whole thing in half because they knew they were going bankrupt. Right. There wasn't even a debate. They're like, yeah, we'll take whatever you give us. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. And I'm still, I've still been so on the edge with all that stuff. Like, people keep talking about it, like, oh, do you think now's a good time to buy travel stocks, you know, hotels, airlines, cruise lines? And I'm just like, man, there's just, there's just way too many unknowns out there for me personally. Like, all it yeah. takes is one more government lockdown to just kill one of those things. You're right. Just think about what would happen if one vaccine says, ah, it's not as effective, then suddenly back to lockdown, and then that's it. Yeah, like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, there's too many unknowns for me and that kind of stuff. And, like, um, what was I going to say earlier? Uh, millennial stocks. Oh, Tesla. I want to talk about Tesla a little bit. Because, um, like, I bought, I bought shares the other day. I think it was like $600 a share. Yeah. And, like... Um, I made a post like earlier in the week where, or I think or two weeks ago, where I, I was saying like, it's, it's, it's really straightforward to just buy low and sell high, but it's incredibly difficult to do because if you think about the psychology of what's happening is if you're selling high, it means everybody's buying, everybody's positive on this stock. You're the one guy saying, no, they're going to shit. Like I'm, I'm getting the fuck out. Right. Yeah. And then if you're the one buying at low, that means everyone's like, no, this sucks. This company's going to go bankrupt. We don't want it. Everybody hates it. You're like, no, no, I like it. I like it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's really hard to do. Yeah, for sure it is. And then the tricky thing about that too is, yeah, buy low, sell high. Like, okay, like for you, Tesla, you bought it, you know, 600 bucks, say. But if it goes to 580, I mean, you know, when do, when do you start sweating a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to start sweating below. I, I think my, my number was 467, something around there. Okay. That's when I start getting concerned a little bit. But even then, only about the stock price. Because, like, we talked about this a lot, especially the last episode. Like, the price is not the company. Right. Right. So, like, if, if Tesla sold off to, like, 450, I'd kind of be like, yeah, okay, yeah, I get it. They're not the $600 billion company. They're maybe in the 400s. I'll buy that. Yeah. Right. So, like, it's just a, a correction, right? Um, but the, as long as they keep growing revenue and they keep making more units every year, I'm just like, I don't, I don't really care. Yeah. Yeah, I can't see them going going down that hard, to be honest. Uh, did, did I show you my, my super bearish case? It was like $89. $89? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> be it, it, it came from a pre-split price. Dude. I can't remember what number it was. It was like 385 or... I can't remember what number it was. Maybe 200. It was something... Pre pre split the, the split thing really fucked up my uh, my my numbers, but it was something like eighty nine bucks is where I think where's my bear case. It's it's the one where I told you if I saw Tesla at eighty nine bucks, I'm taking hundred k out of my line of credit and just putting it all on Tesla. <laughs> I'd probably do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's what people don't realize is there's, there's like yeah stocks will go down, but there are there's there's demand at varying levels, right? Yeah, there's a floor. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's like we were talking about, you know, look for the volume, look for the lines, look for the levels, and that's how you find your floors, right? Yeah, because if you're looking at just the chart and you see a giant red candle, you're like, oh, my God, it's, it's Armageddon. Like, this thing's dying. But you don't realize yeah. maybe just three bucks below that is a giant bio, a wall of buy orders. Right. Not to mention, people always panic when they see something like that. But if you look left, you know, it might, it, it's come way, 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 way up. So, like, there's still, you know, everybody that was buying it on that whole ramp up, even if you had one big red day, like, they're still all in the money. So they're not going to panic. Yeah, it's only the couple people who bought it right at the top that are panicking. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so that that's a good point. I was just uh, remember we were talking. We talked a lot this week about Bitcoin, right? And mm. like people were saying, oh, maybe is this is this it? This was the top or whatever, right? And because it, it sold off pretty hard, I don't I don't remember if you remember what price it was, like fifty seven thousand. Uh, yeah, I think, I think it went down to fifty, didn't it? It went down to fifty, but where did it come down from? Do you remember where it crashed? <clears throat> where it started to crash? Two or sixty three, I think was the high. Yeah. So like. I'm reading on Twitter, and like people are like, "Who the fuck is selling? Like, where? Who are? Who is? Who are these bears?" <laughs> I'm like, "This thing did a 10x in one year. The like people are taking profit, man." Yeah, you yeah. Put in a thousand dollars. Yeah, I'm like you put in a thousand dollars last March. You got ten grand now. Maybe you want to buy a jet ski or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, but yeah. like. But like, just like we were saying, like there's, there's, um, there's, a, there's definitely demand for this thing. It'll hit a. It seems like there's a rising price floor. It'll, it'll go down. But, it, but have you noticed it's making uh, higher lows now? Right? Yeah. In uh, January, it went down to like twenty nine thousand. In February, it was like 30, 41, 38, something like that. Yeah, I think like yeah, maybe forty. Yeah, thirty eight, forty two. I think somewhere. Yeah. Around. Yeah. And then now we didn't even hit fifty. Like we, we like five hundred bucks above fifty. We just turned right around. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of, well, you got to think, a lot of people are just looking to buy the dips, right? So A lot of people are looking to buy the dips, and because you know I pay for that um, on that on-chain data service, right? So I'm looking at stats all the time. <laughs> Every time Bitcoin gets over $60,000, 99%, 99% of all wallets are in profit. Right. So if what assets are like. 99 out over 99 out of 100 people are in profit you think some of them might want to sell right yeah especially the guys that bought it when it was like 10 grand i know <laughs> so like right now it's dipped to like whatever like 50 whatever thousand like i'm looking at it it's still there's still 96 percent wallets on in profit like yeah it just depends yeah it just depends on who's who's taking profits really like it's not shorting down or anything like People aren't panicking every day. You're sending me stuff, more people buying it, more funds buying it, like more companies buying it. Yeah, yeah. But we're just thinking like the problem is psychological now because we, we didn't have this problem. Sam will remember. We didn't have this problem last, last uh, cycle because it went, <clears throat> it ripped from like 10K to 20K in like from November to December. So like a one month period, right? Mm. So, so, so it sounds like the previous, but it spent most of that year within like the three, the $1,000 to $3,000 range. Right. Right. So if the asset went down 20%, it's like a $600 move. You're not really sweating it. Mm. But a $55,000, $60,000 asset going down 20%, it's going down like $12,000. You're like, oh. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like, but it's all relative, right? Yeah. It's, it's hard how you have to readjust that perspective. Yeah. It's like if you're playing a $1 stock and it goes up to you know, $1.10, it's a 10% move. Right, if yeah. you're playing a thousand dollar stock and it goes up a hundred bucks, it's a ten percent move. So I noticed I got to calibrate like that. Yeah, because like, 
because I forgot which one I bought. I bought something for like a dollar, two dollar. I bought a two dollar stock. It's my okay. first. I think it's my first two dollar stock ever. Really? It went up ten cents. Yeah, it went really? up ten cents, like you said. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a small cap. It's the Nuvu, that Nuvo model, oh, yeah. that graphite thing. Yeah, yeah. So, it, so it went up like ten or twenty cents. And in my head, I'm like, what the hell is 10, 20 cents? I almost ignored it. But then I, I looked back. I was like, holy shit. I was like, I should have sold some on the way up. Yeah, yeah. And I was, I was talking to you, the one, I think it was a couple of podcasts ago or whatever we were talking about that. I said, having such a hard time with the higher price stuff because I'm so used to playing stuff that's like under five bucks, six bucks, right? Yeah. So like when I get into stuff that's like 15, 20 bucks, like I got to give it so much more range. Like like I said, on those lines that I'm drawing, you know, if I'm, I'm thinking it might wick through maybe 10, 12 cents. If it's a $15 stock, it might wick through a dollar. So I got to have like, everything's just stretched so much further out. It's, it's tricky to get used to. You know, you just made me realize something. I think that's part, not all, but definitely part of the reason why I found it hard to trade Bitcoin in the last like month or so, because ever since it broke like 40,000, mm. the price moves, like it, it'll swing like $2,000 in an hour. <laughs> like right. it's, it's getting really hard to figure out where my buy and sells are going to be. Like you have such a, crazy range to get yeah because you were trading it mostly like probably around like the 30s i guess so well i've been trading this thing since it was a five thousand. so like okay and it ripped up from like ten thousand to like 50 in like six months so like mentally i haven't adjusted yet yeah that's tricky yeah because like just six months ago this is a five thousand dollar move i'm like holy shit yeah, made a hundred percent. Yeah, now it's like ten percent move. It was like it happened. It happened like it went. It went up ten percent from yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's like I can't. I, I I don't know how I can. Um. That's why actually I've actively not traded this whole last forty eight hours. Okay. I'm seeing it go up. I'm seeing. I'm I'm seeing moves that I might want to enter because I because you know I like playing breakouts because right. it did break out a diagonal trend line. But then I'm like, no, I need I need to just lay off. Yeah, it's exhausting too, man. Like I tried to do the Bitcoin. I tried to trade it for like two weeks, and it was just like just trying to look at it all the time, just because it was always trading. I'm trying to always watch it, and then it's like nine o'clock at night. I'm sitting there, and I'm like waiting because something might happen. I was like, "Fuck, I can't do this." So I was just like, "I was like, I can't, I can't do a twenty-four hour market." So I think maybe Bitcoin would be like the ultimate um, challenge for you to learn to swing trade, because I think that's the best way to do it, right? Yeah, probably not a bad idea because then I can get in, in and out of positions whenever, though, which might be nice. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe we should try that. That's a good idea. Yeah. Start right. doing like start doing like your longer with the longer time frame like patterns and see what's up. Yeah, yeah, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> Want to wrap it up? I think we've been on for yeah. about an hour or so. That sounds good to me. Sweet. All right, All right YouTubers, you take it. <laughs> All right. All right, YouTubers. Like and subscribe. Comment. Yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs>